0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week it's going to be, well, the turn of two people, which is connected to the Las Vegas Punk Rock Museum that has just opened... May 2023, I will give you a link to the museum in the notes below. It is an amazing space, an amazing project, started with various people, including Vinnie Forello, who I speak to in this particular interview, one time Member of Less Than Jake, the drummer with, and also Melanie Kay, who's doing publicity, marketing, and general archiving with the project. Um, This is the interview, so you're going to find out much more about this project and a bit more about their lives as well and um, how they became involved in it. But as I said, I will give you the notes or the link to the website below. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject really, Um, a bit of background to their own lives. their early musical influence and this is going to be Vinny Well up luckily you're going to know which one is Vinny and which one is melanie anyway Vinny, tell us more tell us now
1: i was born in 1970 right, right. so we're, we're we're close uh Very close. but uh, it it was kiss right so my, my brother uh came home and it was my uh birthday uh june 24th and he said i bought you a record i go what record did you buy me he goes kiss alive 2 just came out and oh, i played that record until the grooves uh wore out and that was the beginning like of everything that the awakening uh and then a little bit after that he started to go to uh shows at this place called city gardens and he was going to see the Knack and Blondie and uh, the Ramones. And that was the true, my my inward into punk rock music was a little bit after Kiss.
0: Right. My Sharona. There you go. We all loved it, didn't we? <laughs> a great Great song. Great songs. though so the lyrics do feel a little bit peculiar now, but that's just life, isn't it? That's all right, though. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, did you have a kind of a musical moment in life that changed everything?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I uh, would listen to my parents' records and they liked uh, Bowie and Ultravox and The Dictators and Blondie, but a lot of... um Uh, sort of peppered into that was a lot of Motown and reggae so you know Stevie Wonder and uh, uh, the Staple Sisters and uh, you know it it was uh, a pretty eclectic uh, mix of music that uh, we liked and I'd go to concerts with my parents I think the one of the first concerts I went to was either Pink Floyd or Super Tramp and I was with my mother and I was probably about 12 and someone passed me a joint and uh, I was horrified. I I said, no, thank you. And my mom said, next time, pass it to me. (laughs) (laughs) So so, yeah, that that was sort of my first, uh, you know, the intros. And then, yeah, I got into like psychedelic furs and uh, uh, x-ray specs and, uh, you know, really into a lot of punk and, uh, you know the jam, a lot of British uh, stuff, but
0: also all over the world, actually. Yes, well, absolutely, yeah. that's fine. So, mm-hmm. what was I mean? As as we as as Vinnie, as you were sort of getting to that ripe old age of sixteen, did you stay on to college, or did you, um, yes, bail out and sort of head for another career?
1: Well, you know, the the, the crazy thing is that I uh, I I was thrown out of high school, and uh, I went and there, there's a test that you could take to get your high school equivalency uh, to it, your diploma uh, for it. So at uh, 16 and a half years old, I took the test uh, and I graduated officially from high school after being expelled. Uh, and then it was, uh, I went on my first tour uh, with a band called Chemical Youth when I was 17 years old. And we uh, supported GWAR uh, on the Hello Tour. Right. Uh, And then it wasn't until I was uh, 20 years old that I went back and went, I'm going to go to college. So I started at community college. And then I did two years there. And then I moved to uh, the University of Florida, where I have a specialist degree in special education.
0: Blimey. Did not see that one coming, did I?
1: Neither did I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what about you, Melanie? What happened when you hit 16? Did you stay on to college or did you?
2: Well, uh, high school, you know, was a bit of a rocky road and I would skip a lot, but um, I uh, was getting really high grades in English, you know, um, getting hundreds in that. But then you know barely scraping by in math and so there was sort of this uh weird uh imbalance in, <laughs> in what i enjoyed doing and what i was good at so yeah i w- it, i kind of squeaked by and um i started booking bands when i was 15 and uh you know got into a band and was singing in bands and so that was really my focus at that time but like vinnie i decided that I also wanted to get a diploma. So uh, I had to uh, do a course where you had to get over, I think it was 85 in order to be accepted to university in Canada uh, as a full-time student. And so I did that. But uh, and I did one year uh because my backup plan was to be an English teacher. Right. And um and then uh once I was in that environment. I realized that I wasn't really enjoying it so it was more about having that option versus Mm -hmm. really wanting to you know sink my teeth into that and um yeah and then I just continued sort of on my path of uh booking and managing bands and performing and all that good stuff yeah
0: the PR world. So Vinny. so look, yes. it's interesting. You've got your special education. So how does that now link to your latest or one of your latest projects, which is this amazing museum in Las
1: Vegas? You know, it, 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 whenever you sort of sit down and uh, learn anything at a university, it's usually sort of just a wire framework, Right. So... When you really learn what what the the college and university has taught you is when you're out in the real world and you're kind of using those skills and kind of gaining new ones or new understanding of it. So for me, I spent six months as a special education teacher in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, you start to learn sort of how to talk to people, how to connect to people, how to sort of uh, un you know, untangle this knot in some people that, you know, have a, a little bit more of a, an emotional disability and things like that. So, uh, I, I used that for six months and then, uh, on my sixth month of being a professional teacher, I left to go on my second tour ever with less than Jake and, uh, never went back to teaching after that. Right. I, so
0: there I, you continued,
1: go. I continued on, uh, touring for uh 27 years after that <laughs>
0: <laughs> was this in the in the capacity of kind of a road manager
1: a, a drummer and a songwriter
0: song blimey there you go there you go. less than jake my god so that was your your apprenticeship in the world of rock and roll
1: that was that was my my baby and, and still is maybe the baby's living out of the house for a little bit now that i'm, I'm not touring but uh that that was the the true test of getting to know the world, right? And uh, of music, of everything. We toured, you know, uh, extensively nine months nine months to eleven months a year for the first, you know, uh, six or seven years that we were touring
0: yes blimey so then 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 sort of when did the idea because sometimes we have these ideas late at night sometimes after drinking too much and then wake up the next day and think oh my god i wish i hope no one remembered that so did you have a kind of a moment thinking i know i'm going to put a museum together in las vegas
1: you know what that 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 true epiphany came via phone call from from fat mike from no effects he had called me it was a tuesday if i recall and he said "Vinny." Uh, so I'm thinking about making the punk shop in Las Vegas. And I talked to Lisa Brownlee. And uh, you you want you want to do some merch and stuff like that for it? Because I, I did a lot of the creative work for for less than Jake and merchandise. And I went, dude, absolutely, absolutely. I go, when you guys figure out, you know, what do you want to do? Just give me a call. So uh, two days go by and I get another call and he goes, Hey, remember that I, I talked about the, the Las Vegas punk shop. I go, yeah. He goes, forget all about that. What well, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do a museum. And I go, okay. He goes, do you want to be involved? I go, absolutely, man. Let, let, let's figure it out. So that started a a road of two and a half years from uh, that first phone call and that sort of epiphany of, uh, of mike and to uh the doors being open and we have a twelve thousand square foot building in the las vegas uh proper uh yes and was it
0: and was it always going to be las vegas did you ever sort of have a should we do it anywhere else or was it Uh,
1: always always going to be las vegas
0: because of the tourist center of the world
1: well i mean it it is if you look at it right it is a city that uh, paths get crossed all the time. You know, whether you're going there for uh, business or you're going there for you know to be a tourist and take a vacation. Uh, but it also has the infrastructure to be able to handle stuff like that, right? Like cheaper hotels and a lot of entertainment and uh, cheap flights to get in and get out. So the infrastructure was there, and the real estate price was. Logical, man, like, if we put 12,000 square feet in London, New York City, or Los Angeles, uh, it would cost 10 times the amount of money for that building, at the very least, you know, yes. so uh, to be able to really do it on a grand scale, Las Vegas made sense across the board.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting because because I have an, an amazing love of Las Vegas, because that was always the place we'd come on holiday for sort of 15 odd years. We'd fly into Vegas, have a few days there, see a cirque de show and a few other bits, get at the car, rent a car and do a national park or two. So we became quite kind of obsessed with the place. And actually the first time we came, we thought it was going to be a bit kitsch and a bit sort of like going on about the rat pack. And I was really surprised. There was nothing about the rat pack or particularly Elvis. It was all about you know, this was probably 2003, 2004, and then sort of coming most years after then, just, it, it's just very much kind of, um, it's about looking forward, isn't it? So it's quite a surprise.
1: It, 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 you oh. know, Las Vegas definitely has the occasion to look over its shoulder at its history, right? And you can get to those like points of, oh yeah, there's, you know, that the Rat Pack era, you know, that that's sort of a Las Vegas forming, you can still see it a little bit, but for the most part, Las Vegas looks forward, right? It looks into the future, the bigger, the better, you know, uh, the, the broader idea of, of what entertainment should be. And that's cool. And uh, the museum sort of fits into that headspace, right? It's that, what better place uh, for a punk rock museum, this sort of like big grand idea, than uh, into a place that, that accepts bigger and grander ideas.
0: Yes, well, it's 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 interesting. And how did you get um, involved with this, Melanie?
1: Um,
2: I guess it was probably a couple of weeks later, and uh, Mike got in touch with me. And initially, uh, what he wanted me to focus on was artifact outreach. And you know, because I've been doing uh, publicity and. Whatnot in Canada for over thirty-five years. uh, I've booked a lot of bands and you know worked with many artists. And so, um, yeah, he asked me to sort of focus on that, and and that's what I did. And then it was sort of you know um, as things were developing, it shifted to as we were getting ready to open uh, to look at um, you know digging into my PR uh, sort of skills and. And uh, you know, now it's class, still artifact outreach, but the main thing would be publicity. For yes, museum.
0: my God, artificial oh. um yes. artifact outreach must be the most exciting thing. So you literally started just going through your contacts and social media saying, hi, we've yes. got this museum. Yes. And you know, by the way, do you have some some stuff in your attic that you haven't looked yes. at for 30 years? And would you like exactly. to exactly <laughs> Yeah,
2: and it was incredible, you know. The, Yeah, the uh, response, because it was people trusting us before the building was even, you know, completed or even near to completion. So it was, it was a very, um, a lot of moments that were quite moving, you know, because someone's father had passed, and uh, their son, you know, had their bass guitar as an example. And people, you know, had been offering to buy that bass guitar. And then when um, they heard about the museum, they said this felt right and what their father would be happy with.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so we feel um, like a lot of people have entrusted us with things that are literally priceless and really precious. And you know, everyone involved is from the punk community. And the respect and honor that we uh, have uh, dealing with all these people and, and them trusting us with their artifacts has been an incredible journey for us.
0: Yes, I could imagine. Because it's interesting, you've got that time, your timing is perfect, really, isn't it? Because I noticed that David Bowie's just kind of given all his archive to the V&A in London, hasn't he? And he had that exhibition a few years ago, and then Pink Floyd and the the Rolling Stones, and I know the Bowie one toured as well. Um, So people are really interested in seeing the the kind of... um, the material, aren't they? Whether it's the little bits of yes. scribbled paper, whether it's the bass guitar, you know, it's the, the yes. original poster. There is something about authenticity about these things, isn't it? Which Definitely. can't be replaced. Yes. So that yeah. was, what...
2: and, and it's, you know, like Winnie was saying about Vegas, where it's ever growing and how that's such a good fit for the museum. Because it's uh, 50 years of punk rock, but punk rock isn't stopping. So it's a living, breathing museum and we're continuing to get artifacts and it continues to grow. And we haven't, well actually we have now been open for one month so uh, it's still very early days but yeah we're we're building our collection as we speak.
0: Yes, do you feel quite a responsibility now that the, the, the project is happening and you've started to sort of become better known or, or also a place that people couldn't think you know because as we get older you know you're looking at your archives and people are wondering what's going to happen to them have you started sort of feeling that you could be a place that everyone's going to say by the way I've got this and this and we'd just like someone to basically have it and look after
1: it well, I, I yeah. hope it becomes that right
0: well it would be it would be nice yeah. I mean, did well, you because punk is such a wide thing? Did you suddenly think, well, we can't just have this area and this area because every a lot of places had their punk movement? Did you sort of feel like we need to sort of, you know, represent all the punk?
1: Well, I mean, and, and we do, right? But you have to put you have to put it in the perspective that early on, while it had pockets uh, in a lot of places, just the 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 spearhead, so to speak, you know, in the seventies, it was New York. 70s it was london 80s california 80s new york so you had these uh these uh little pinpoints that were scattered everywhere but then you had some of the the cities and the the scene that were really spearheading that sort of creative boom but with that said in the museum you see those cities pop up but then as soon as you see like the sort of a push into technology you know where they, the 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 internet starting to come and ramp up and social media. And then punk became a lot less localized and a lot more globalized, right? So now, like, yeah, punk rock is not just a a London scene or a New York scene. Punk rock is everywhere around the globe. I'll tell you is that I've been in, you know, weird corners of of Japan and Australia and uh, Beijing, China, and, Uh, punk rock's thriving there you know and it's not just this oh it's uh, localized to a New York scene or anything like that anymore it's a a global uh, creative sort of uh, idea that that continues to grow and continues to to morph into other things so on the second floor of the museum you really start to see this like push out into a globalism that it's it's everywhere around the globe. It's just not a, a London scene anymore, or a New York scene, or a, a Texas scene. You know, uh, it, it, it you see it as a a grander scope.
0: Yes, because one thing I notice with things like the V and A in London. Especially, they try. To, they do a certain amount of. It's quite educational, isn't it? They go into quite a lot of detail. Do you sort of feel with this museum that you want to also educate people about the spirit of punk, and not just like, oh, isn't this great? It's all about the Sex Pistols and the Ramones, well, but actually, for there's for more sure. to it.
1: Well, for sure. I mean, you, you, punk is interesting because not only do you have to, you know, sort of provide the history, provide the context but you also have to convey the spirit of what like punk rock music means to everybody. And for some people early on, it it meant different things than it does now. Right. You know, for me, punk rock was the the freedom to do what I wanted to do, to be myself, to, to love what I loved, regardless of of the vitriol or venom from people outside of the scene. Right. But in the nineties, if you like sort of drop into punk rock music, then it was about sort of, you know, this bubbly sort of catchy music. And it was about having fun. And it was about, you know, the bands that were popular. It was pop music at that time. It was pop, truly popular music, uh, Blink and Green, Green Day and, and The Offspring. So for me, it's uh, the museum has to convey all these different messages that are, are sort of uh, linked throughout the decade. So you, you, you have to educate, but you have to also put it all in context. To what these scenes were and time periods were.
0: Yes, and who's who's been the person behind that? You know, cur- curating this, you know, and and telling the narrative.
1: You know what? Uh, there's we we do have a a sort of creative director for artifacts, and that's Brian Ray Turcott, and he's amazing collector, amazing historian for punk music, but it really boils down to the collective. You know, we. talk about and say, oh, we should add this band, we should add this scene. And it was a constant conversation that happened at weekly meetings. And a lot of those weekly meetings turned into sidebars of, I really think we should do this, and I'm going to bring it into the next meeting and talking about artifacts and how they interrelate to to the other artifacts that we have. So it really is a a take a punk village to, to make the museum, right? It wasn't just this one person, it was This group of people, this collective, and you had Brian Ray, who is this really true uh, uh, in-depth collector and punk historian that was, you know, sprinkling uh, the narrative. And if you go look up Brian Ray Turcott, look at the books that he has; they're amazing. You know, uh, a lot of uh, punk shirts and flyers. And there's another one called "Fucked Up" and photocopied that (laughs) deals with with that right, the the flyer side of uh, punk rock music. Uh, but yeah, it it was interesting because everyone wanted to add something and make sure something was represented in the museum that other people might have went, ah, we don't really have to add it, but there was always someone uh, close by going, no, we got to add it. Like, this is why it's important. And uh, that's, that's cool to me, man, to be able to, in context, work with a lot of my, my, uh, my equals, right. Uh, And to be able to push out all of our, our ideas into this building. uh, It's amazing.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, and the interesting thing, you've got your, your guided tours as well, haven't you? Which is another additive with musicians, musicians. So who's, um, how did that idea come about?
1: That that was a a fat mic thing. If I, if I, if I remember correctly, you know, how someone in there and they're going to guided people around and our mantra this whole time has been, you know, uh, it's, a, a punk rock museum museum for, uh, uh, for people, but by the people who lived it, right. It's not someone going, well, we, we, we're never a punks, but we're, you know, we've read a lot about it. So we're going to make a museum. Uh, the punk rock museum has been formed by people who've lived being punk rockers. And mm-hmm. I think Mike went, this is a perfect way. Tour guides are a perfect way to have people walk around and go, Hey, this is my story. This is when I got involved in punk rock music. I went to this show and I got hit in the mouth at that show and <laughs> you know, whatever the case is, right. There's always fun stories about gigs and for musicians, uh. It's great to be able to tell those stories about uh, what they've lived and how they lived it in the context of punk rock music.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's interesting. It's how I...
2: they how they connect to it, right?
0: absolutely sure. absolutely yeah. i mean there is a lot of layers because I, I was just thinking when you were talking i did an interview with um the photographer kevin Cummins, who did a lot of stuff on he was quite famous for his joy division pictures but he's been you know a photographer but he did the sex pistols in 1976 on christmas day when they were playing in huddersfield and that book only came out a couple of years ago and it was like surely people would have been interested in this and he said it it take it, these things often take about 30 years plus for them to suddenly gain a bit of traction. Because there was also, and I have to vaguely look to my left, there was a book on Boston punk scene and also Texas for a reason, the punk scene. And it was like these photographers from that period had, you know, took some brilliant pictures, went, that's great, but no one's interested. I'll put them in my shoebox. And then went, oh, I've got all these pictures. And someone went, oh, my God, that's amazing. You must put a book out. So it's interesting that your museum has, has come out at this time when, I think things were at the time when you're, experiencing it don't have any kind of importance you look at it as if it's just like normal but then you look back and think oh that was quite a lucky period wasn't it and I hope someone's got some photographs so the timing of the, the museum is perfect.
1: Yeah I mean I couldn't agree more I think that you know there's a point in time now where you're running into some photographers that were around in the 80s and they're kind of going Hey, I, I just put this into a book, and can someone help me promote it? Can someone, you know, bring some pictures and and help, you know, uh, document what I did? And I mean, uh, myself and Melanie both, we were taking part in a weekly photography meeting, and we would each bring in a photographer and kind of talk about it and go, Hey, I, I Kevin Salk being one of them, hey. Uh, Kevin Salk, he's really into the museum and here's some of his pictures uh, and then move on from there. Hey, it's uh, Ricky Riccoli who is on temporary exhibit at the museum currently. Uh-huh. But hey, he took these pictures in New York in the 70s of uh, Blondie and the Misfits and and Circle Jerks when they were touring and things like that early on. And you tap into this sort of like creative energy that people had at that time. And it stayed in a shoebox. that the negatives are, are tucked somewhere in the sock drawer. Right. And uh, until, until people go, Hey, uh, I I, I'm, I'm getting closer to the end than I am the beginning. Let me, (laughs) let me find a place. Let me show what I did. Let me show who I was. Let me show who, other people were at the time. And that to me, man, documenting the history is such a cool thing for punk rock music because Mel said it earlier, it's a living, breathing museum. It's finding people that are still around to tell the story in their own words. It's not looking back and trying to paraphrase somebody's story about being involved in the the seventies punk scene or the eighties punk scene in California. And Having that is such an important thing to be able to document in a, in a living, breathing person to be able to go. This is how I lived it. This is how it was. This is my art, whether it be photography or whether in zines or whether it's music, whether it's graphic art, fashion. It, you know, it, it just be. It's uh, I'd said it, and I'll I'll say it again right here. It's an honor to be able to do that.
0: Yes. This is, this is, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's an important thing. And and sort of looking forward, how do you see the museum shaping, you know, in the next 12 months, you know, two years? Mel, Mel, well, you...
2: I'll just say it's, it's, you know, walking around, it's such a uh, feeling of joy uh, that everyone uh, feels going through the museum and everyone's got giant smiles on their face. And, and you know, in terms of how it's going to develop, like what we were saying earlier, where um, you know, artifacts are continuously coming in and we've got programming in the works, you know, to have um, uh, people come uh, do book readings and show their films and um, you know, do uh, little acoustic performances. So the, the thing is is that the one of the words that kept coming up, in our meetings as we were getting ready to open, and that continues to be uh, a goal and a theme is that we're very mindful that we're as inclusive as possible and that representation for everyone is very important to, to everyone in the collective. And so in terms of how I personally see it is that it's just gonna keep growing and that more people are gonna come forward now that we've opened our doors and uh say, like you were saying, David, you know, here's you know my shoebox and can you put it up somewhere, all the stuff in it. And I think it's just gonna continuously grow.
0: Yes. And how do you and how do you create it though do you do you have some bands that you think you were kind of there but that wasn't really punk I'm just thinking some of the New York scene at that late 70s you had a kind of a, a almost a rockabilly sound didn't you with the rock cats who went then you had the stray cats I mean would you say oh you played at CBGB's and you were at Max's Kansas City and obviously really important you were there in that scene but do you you know do you sometimes have you ever struggled thinking oh, I'm not quite sure if we start letting this band in that's not quite the band that we can put into a category how does that work
1: Yeah, a a lot like i had said earlier there's a lot of conversation that happens and you know while i wouldn't have included xyz but when someone you know comes to the table and is passionate going what do you mean dude like it, it should be xyz should be included because of xyz right and go oh okay i get it and you know, you, you have to follow people's passion about it, right? And just because they weren't on my radar doesn't mean that they weren't an important, like, facet to to the punk scene or to the overall sort of uh, way that it sort of blossomed out, right? If, if it wasn't for, you know, sort of some rockabilly bands that were on the fringe, would we have other bands that that took up, let's say, Living End, right? Which is yes. a punk rock band, Right. Would we have the living end if we didn't have stray cats? Uh no, we definitely wouldn't. I'd say that was a pretty like clear, like sort of vision on it. So you have to start to like, you know, follow that ripple that happened all the way back, and then go, yes, that 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 makes sense. And you also have to follow the passion. If someone's so passionate about it, they belong. You have to listen to that passion. That's what a group work is that's what's being part of a collective is is being able to listen to other people's thoughts on why this is important and and trust their instinct and trust their like sort of passion about it.
0: Yes, cuz it's interesting you have got quite a an a, a time frame on this. And I was just thinking how sort of punk in say the UK started. It was like a lot about poverty and not having anything and there was no future. Quite literally no one was really that bothered huge amount of unemployment and very little money and then there was the prog rock world with you know all these you know yes and genesis and people like that that came along so there was a lot to kick about it wasn't there you know there was a lot to get angry about with the state. And then, you know, this is a bit simplistic, but, you know, it's just hang in there. And then, you know, punk has about three to four really good years and then it gets dilute and then another scene comes along and then another, then grunge comes along and that sort of has that energy again. And then you get Woodstock 99 and you think, oh, it's all gone a bit sour again. I just wondered how you, you know, where you kind of sometimes start and finish with some of the, the bands that you might get asked to um, dis- display or exhibit
1: you got you got to surf that wave one by one man you can't there's no there's no blanket to it right it's someone asked me you know about let's say the 90s and and the year punk broke right or in the early 90s would i include uh nirvana in that i personally wouldn't but do we as a museum include nirvana as part of when punk broke yeah and and if you start to like kind of pull the thread on it and go, oh, well, it was sub pop, sub pop, you know, is, is a, is a punk label. Right. And yes. even though, uh, uh, it was coin grunge that came fully out of, you know, sort of a flip side magazine, like vibe and, you know, the, the Northwest, uh, vibe as well. And sub pop is well-respected and awesome label. So you start to put the pieces in place and, uh, Again, it's, you know, at that same time, it was Pearl Jam, but is Pearl Jam included? No, they're they're not. And you can kind of trace back some of their punk roots. But I think that you have to surf every wave as it comes. You have to go, this is why this band's important and continually always talk about why they should be involved or why they should not be involved
0: yes an interesting an, an interesting debate so what's what's what you know melanie you were talking about like, you know getting the archive what bits in particular have you been most excited or amazed by
2: oh you know it's funny because uh, you ask 10 people in the collective and you get 10 different answers and so you know it's it's a lot of what um we had know sort of a a personal history with or a connection to and so you know i've got um a lot of um, my friends represented in there and and a lot of people you know over the years that i've worked with and you know the, the thing is is that you get sort of into the backstory and the heart of uh what motivated them to be in a band and, and, you know, you know, the history of it. And, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of uh, stories that these uh, artifacts tell and represent. And um, it's, I would say, um, just, I don't know how it, uh, it meant so much to so many people, and it continues to do so. Yes. So it's it's a little bit of a Sophie's choice kind of question, you know, because <laughs> yes. I love so many of the artifacts and to be honest, walking through, I have a new favorite each time. So, um, yeah, there there's a lot of special things, but I think it's the things that for me personally that I knew the person and they're either um not with us anymore. And it's their legacy or it represents um, where they were at at that time in their life and knowing where they're at now, how they continue to do great work and uh, put a lot of uh, positive uh, messaging out in the world.
0: Yes, absolutely. And later on in the month, which is bizarre how quick the year's gone, you've got the Punk Bowling uh, Weekend in, in Vegas. Will, will you be sort of uh, doing much collaboration or is it just a case that you'll just make yourself aware of um, or make sure that people know the museums just down the road?
1: You know what? We, we, we've gone back and forth on programming uh, around the, the Punk Rock Bowling Weekend. I think what, that it's our first year being open uh, and we we anticipate it being an extremely busy weekend, so I think that we're gonna uh, bring the program uh, programming back to uh, just let it simmer a little bit, and then see how this first year goes, and then we can kind of lean into it once we know.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because the one thing, you know, just going back to Vegas and entertainment, the one thing that is quite I found quite interesting was that shows kind of close quite quickly, and you know, basically they put in millions of dollars and then just like they don't get the crowd and then it closes after six months. But the, the the thing that people love is immersive experiences. So is that something, you know, they've got these amazing light shows that has a bit of that, um, oh yeah, the Burning Man Festival vibe to it. And uh, do you sort of realize that that's what people are really interested in now to try and keep them engaged that sense of sort of, in, you know, connecting with the audience?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know we when we started talking about the museum we we started to discuss you know sort of the experiences that people could have right and for for a museum being able to go in and have a drink at the bar that's in the museum go upstairs to the tattoo shop that's in the museum be able to get married or have a wake at the chapel that's in the museum go upstairs to the jam room and be able to pick up one of your favorite a uh, punker's guitar or bass, and be able to play it through an amplifier that has been recorded—you know, famous for being recorded or on tour—I—I I, would—I would push that against a, a light show any day, right? And—and and the fact is that you know we become that sort of hub of experience uh, that you would usually kind of equate it to, like punk culture, right? So. I would I am betting more on that than if we had an awesome light show that that you can sit in a room and, and hang out on. I think people want to go in and experience it document it via, you know, social media or pictures and send it to their mom. And that could be anything that could be, you know, wearing a uh, uh, face makeup and being in the desert during Burning Man or being in a immersive Vincent Van Gogh. Uh, picture with uh light shows and slideshows, or they could be holding Joan Jett's guitar and that's awesome too man so
0: yeah I, I, think,
1: I think that it, it's the people that are showing up that are punkers are going to be stoked I think that the people that aren't punkers are going to learn about the culture and immediately when you walk through into the sort of like warm-up room when as soon as you pass that and you start in New York in the 70s you're immersed in punk rock music, wall to wall, and and you go. So I do think that uh, instead of you know that the 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 cool and, and crazy light show, being able to look around and really be uh, in the middle of punk rock history, I think people groove on that.
0: Yes. Did you were you kind of um, did you go to the the Mob Museum and have that kind of walking through experience?
1: Yeah. The Mob Museum is great. You know, Neon Museum is is probably one of my favorite museums where it's outside and you see that history that, you know, that old Rat Pack vibe that you're speaking of earlier, right?
0: You see all those
1: lines, you know, everywhere. And it's a very cool vibe, man. And, And to be able to, again, with the Punk Rock Museum, to be able to put somebody and immerse them into a wall-to-wall of just visual uh, almost overload of stuff that's it's pretty cool man to be able to do that
0: yes and melanie have you noticed or have you heard what sort of age groups are coming through and demographics
1: it's
2: completely this huge span and it's so awesome because it's parents That are bringing their little kids to show them what you know they used to be (laughs) into, and then it's kids showing their parents what they're into now. And and then you know, like Vinny said, even if you're not into punk rock, you know, there's so many other elements that are going on in the museum and the ethos and you know the inclusiveness. You know, there's definitely, without sounding cliche, there's something for everyone.
0: Yeah every age. Yeah. And did you and did you just you know go back, I mean just briefly, just to because I'm always obsessed with these things, you know, go into that garage sound of the 60s and people like Blue Cheer, as well as you know, the Stooges and Iggy Pop, did you sort of kind of also want to reference that side of it?
1: We 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 have a little bit of proto-punk, right? But we we since the museum is set up in in a, such a way where it's uh You know, sort of walking through time of of punk rock music, it's just a little bit of the proto punk that's represented. Uh, It definitely sort of you're you're swallowed by the the New York in the 1970s first. You know, even if you have a little taste of the proto punk before that.
0: Yes, absolutely. And then you went. Is it the? I was just looking at all my books. Was it the Hundred Club? Did you sort of also for where did where did the London start? Where did the UK punk moment start for you?
1: You know what I, I, for, for me or for the museum
0: for the museum
1: for the for for the museum uh, a, as you're leaving New York, uh, you come face to face with. Uh, 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 the Damned, like this, this picture of uh, David from the Damned and he's peeking at you and uh, is sort of summon, summoning you forward. So it literally starts uh, probably right at that uh, uh, sex and, and sex pistols as it was forming and then goes on from that point.
0: Yes. And just, and how does it sort of, where do you think, pull the, um, bring it to an end for the museum? What's your last last bit?
1: That the, it's cur- It's the current lot, right? It says yeah, yeah, yeah. if you if you walk upstairs, that's pretty much all of the two thousands. That's everything from you know two thousand up to two thousand twenty three. You know, there's bands like Scowl, Suzy Moon. Uh, the Linda Lindas are in it. You know, bands that are are considered brand new, even though they're not brand new. Yes. but uh, new new enough. Uh, but awesome enough to be able to be represented, right? And we really wanted a strong presence of, of you know, a cross-section representing everything because that's what punk rock music is in, in the 20 the aughts, right? It's uh, not just one thing, it's lots of things. To be able to define it as a very personal thing, it's not this blanket statement of, of destroy or PMA or or whatever, it's a lot of things to a lot of people. It's almost divided and then subdivided into categories when you know, you talk to somebody and they're like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I kind of I, I kind of like emo. Oh, you mean like split lip or this? No, 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 I like emo, like dashboard confessional and this, and it's so subdivided and then divided again. That we wanted a really good cross section up into the two thousand. So it's uh, there's a lot up there, and if you're looking at it, there'd be some people going that's not punk, but it's punk to somebody, man. And and uh, <laughs> it's not it's not it's not up to me to how to define it. It was up to somebody else way back, you know, uh, ten years ago or fifteen years ago or five years ago of what punk rock music was. Not yes. some like fifty year old dude, right? Who's out of touch
0: I know I'm so out of touch now I don't even know what TikTok <laughs> is <laughs> yeah, <it's not. laughs> right look thank you ever so much for this this has been amazing and yeah massive thank you, thank you for the setting this up Melanie that's been fantastic oh but like, it's fin- my pleasure thank Fini, you. that's been fantastic to hear and um we'll definitely come over to Vegas soon and come see David
2: me. anytime you gotta come
0: okay. yeah. um, yes I know Looking forward to see you. To it. I know it was mm. the it was the dreaded down uh, Did you, when did you, yeah, because we're obviously this decade. Um, When did you have the idea? And then how did that like little bit, you know, progress after our wonderful lockdown couple of years? When did you get the building, by the way?
1: uh, Two years-ish ago, we got the building and uh, Mike went to Vegas and he was living in Los Angeles at the time. He went to Vegas to look for a building and he was across the street looking at a building going, you know, I remember he had text everybody uh, and went, oh, I just saw this and it's not really that cool. And then uh, maybe about a half hour after that, he walked across the street and walked into a uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, an antiques mall is what the building was before us. And he was like, I found the museum. And we were like, what? He was like, dude, it's an antique mall. There's rooms. It's like a fucking maze in here. Like <laughs> you, You're not going to believe it. And he took a picture. I have the picture saved. He's outside of uh, the building, and he's pointing up at this antique mall sign. And uh, that, that was it, man. He stumbled on it just by chance. Went to go see a building across the street. Saw the for sale by owner sign on the fence and walked in and fell in love with it and, and we've leaned into it ever since
0: that's been amazing did you did you just kind of have a little bit of like oh when's this uh experience going to finish you know i'm thinking of the pandemic did you ever have a moment where you thought god this is really irritating is this a good time to start a business or were you just always confident
1: oh, oh, always up for it man you gotta you gotta follow the passion right it's that if we were sitting around and no one was passionate about it anymore, then you start to, to wonder if it's ever going to happen. But as long as you know, sort of the embers are are hot, so you don't you don't second guess it, right? Mm-hmm. There could be stumbling blocks, and there's stumbling blocks in everything, man. It's like if if you're starting a business and you're literally taking an idea out of the ether, and then starting to form it in reality, right? a just by starting to form it from this idea you're you know uh uh, uh the 10 percent that that actually follows through right yeah and then being able to like push forward step by step by step uh now you're you're part of the one percent that's actually enacting acting on the the original sort of movement to take an idea and make it into reality right so yes. you don't give up when you're in the one percent you're not giving up the idea, because there's a, a COVID pandemic, you're going, hey, uh, after the pandemic, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome, right? And it, it drives you, man. And and of course, like interest wanes and you start to second guess: is this gonna happen? Is this a good idea? What are people gonna think? This is the thing. But there's always someone in the collective going, no, this is this is awesome. This is this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be rad. And I can't wait for people to see it. And you, you, it, it's almost that that sort of uh, PMA, that, that mental, positive mental attitude. It's like a magnet, right? Uh, you just get sucked into it and you start to push forward.
0: Yes. yes. Blimey. I felt like I was in the presence of Tony Robbins there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, no we,
2: we were in, in the before we opened stage, it felt, for so long. And we were having these Zoom meetings and, you know, the artifact meeting was sort of like uh, a show and tell where we'd uh, share photos of the thing that, you know, we were uh, presenting to the collective to have in the museum and all the uh, idea exchange. And and sometimes you get stuck in that pattern and you think, oh, it's never going to happen. And, you know, the stumbling blocks and pandemic and all these other things. But we all are coming at it with our hearts on our sleeves and everyone is so passionate about what we're doing that's involved that there was you know like Vinny said there was these moments where you kind of go I don't know and then someone goes no we got this so yeah you just keep pushing forward
0: Excellent. Well, no, it's it yeah. looks amazing. Well, look, thank you ever so much for your time. This has been amazing, thank and you. I'll and I can send you the link as well, and you can use it on wherever your social media platforms. Yes, platform thank sites. you. I'll share but that, that'll sure. be great. I'll do that very soon. But look, thank you, Vinny, and thank you, Melanie. This has been amazing, and have a lovely day. Thanks,
2: David. Okay, thank you very much.
0: Take care. Bye. I'll say goodbye. <laughs> And that, dear listener, is the end. You probably gathered that. Anyway, a massive thank you to Melanie and also Vinny for giving me the time for that. This is connected to the um, Las Vegas Punk Rock Museum, which does look an amazing space, as they've been talking about it. So I won't bore you any more. But uh, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. All these shows have been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, go to Las Vegas. Go to the museum, that's what we say. Have a great week, stay safe.